This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello and welcome to the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Pip, a practicing midwife who is on a mission to provide you with real evidence-based information about pregnancy, birth and the postpartum. Each episode, I'll be joined by special guests and leading experts to equip you with all the information you need for an empowered journey from conception right through to motherhood. So, with no further ado, let's make a cuppa and get started with today's episode. During the fourth trimester, or the immediate postnatal period, your body undergoes huge physiological adaptions and life as you knew it changes as your motherhood journey gets underway. On this week's episode, I am joined by Dr. Poonam Krishan, a Glasgow-based NHS GP with a specialist interest in women's and children's health, mental health and lifestyle medicine. Dr. Poonam is an honorary senior clinical lecturer at the University of Glasgow, a TV presenter and a writer. Being a mum of two and a GP, she understands the complexities of motherhood from a dual perspective. With her firstborn, she suffered a birth trauma and consequently postnatal depression. And this has influenced her passion for empowering mums and maternal mental health. More recently, Poonam has experienced, like many, pregnancy during a global pandemic and has a four-month-old little girl. She is therefore the perfect guest for this episode of my podcast, and I'm thrilled that she's joining me to discuss navigating life as a new parent and sharing her honest and unedited moments to let all mums know that they are not alone. So welcome and thank you so much for coming on to join us. Thank you so much for having me. It's brilliant. So I know you've been on one hell of a journey really, haven't you, recently with COVID and pregnancy and then being a new mum in the global pandemic. Yeah, I think just we are one of many, many, many mums that's kind of gone through this journey. Um, And I think it is one that I think that we will be unpacking for a very long time to come. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And I think in this 
we kind of discuss pregnancy in these the kind of three trimesters don't we and then there's this massive period afterwards in that immediate postpartum period that we allude to as the fourth trimester so you have to sort of get over the idea of fourth and tri being next to each other don't you it doesn't quite fit right (laughs) but but it's really great to recognize that immediate postpartum period as part of that kind of pregnancy journey for a woman isn't it and and how's that been for you Absolutely. I mean, I always say this to sort of friends and things that, you know, why were we not taught about this at medical school? You very much learn about from conception onwards and it all finishes once the baby's born and, you know, that's that's the bit over and done with. However, sort of as a GP already before having kids, I was recognising every time I did a postnatal check that, you know, a lot of mums were really struggling at that six to eight week mark. Um, and before having a child, I'd be like, well, obviously, what did you expect? You know, babies don't sleep. You sleep deprivation is, is, is part of the journey. Like, get over it. Um, and then I had my own. And I was like, oh, crikey, this is like hard. <laughs> um, I'm struggling more than I've ever struggled before. And I think that that was the first time I really recognized what those first 12 weeks after a baby's born is like. It's like suddenly your life is completely turned upside down and all the books that you may have read beforehand, all those apps that you've been following, you know, the different stages of your vegetable that's growing. And and then suddenly (laughs) there you are facing this like human being that you're completely responsible for that doesn't stop crying. You can never figure out what the problem is and you're very very vulnerable and that's what got me really interested in the concept of what this fourth trimester was and that the more then after my own journey that I like looked at my mum's postnatally I recognized that there was such a similar pattern between the presentations of every mum that comes in during that point and the thing that they need more than anything is like not even all those questionnaires that we ask them they just need to be seen they need to be heard they need to be just asked how are you and cry if you need to um it's completely normal I think just understanding like the best prescription you could ever give out some a new mom is just to say everything that you are feeling is completely normal um and I think just normalizing that traumatic time whereas actually when I would go to these postnatal classes I just didn't feel like I ever fitted in. Like this was seven years ago. Um, everyone, all the moms just seemed to have a really good handle on things. And I'd had a really traumatic birth and I just felt like I, I was having to put on a front, but inside I was just screaming for somebody to say to me, you know, I'm struggling too. Um, so yeah, so that that really has been kind of my entry into this very fascinating, very important, probably the most important trimester <laughs> of pregnancy. Yeah, definitely. And they say, don't they, that the the best gift that a new mum can give to other mums is just to be honest and recognise that everyone's got their challenges and that it's not all kind of um rosy and lovely like some some people may portray potentially I know your your Instagram has shared an amazing really real and honest journey through kind of your fourth trimester and um COVID and kind of dealing with those two things Mm. kind of consecutively but I think we have to be a little bit wary sometimes with that little square on social media of perfectionism of actually Mm -hmm. there's so much else going on around it isn't it 
Absolutely. I mean, I believe that authenticity is the best gift that we can ever give to one another. And I definitely am recognizing and becoming more and more confident with sharing my vulnerability. I think that as doctors, particularly, we are always put on this pedestal. We're almost kind of seen to be these people that don't necessarily lead the same normal lives that other people lead. But actually, we have the same worries. We have the same woes behind those closed rooms of closed doors of the consultation room we're just ordinary people and you know when I ask my patients how they are like I genuinely want to know how they are because I've been a patient I've been on the other side of that consultation table and I've really felt how harrowing and pain can feel when you don't know what's going on and like with me um I'd had my birth trauma previously was I mean I ended up almost sort of dying after I had multi-organ failure widespread sepsis I was intubated for a week and you know probably one of the most horrific of births that I could have ever imagined but even the aftermath of that was was really complex and I had all sorts of issues and my baby had severe reflux and you know that journey was far from this textbook instagrammable grid picture that we see but had you asked me back then because I was new and I was worried about judgment from other peers or wanting to look weak in front of other people you know I probably would have shared really happy rosy moments which just didn't actually exist even in my mind's eye now when I look back I don't really recognize many moments of that first year of his life because it was consumed with such senses of like failureism really. Um, and I think that the more honest we can be with one another as mums, because we need to recognize that mums need nurture too. Like instinctively, we're very good at looking after our babies. But the one thing that we forget in the midst of all of this is that we need to be loved. We need to be shown some kindness. We need to be nurtured and fed, watered. We need to be sleeping. You know, all those things that we suddenly do not do for ourselves. And as a result, it just becomes a bit of a, a spiral down a slippery slope for a few weeks until you do reach out for help. So why not catch it early by informing and empowering one another to say that you know we've got each other's backs and we're going to show the real version of what actually happens and for a very small number I would say that yes it's absolutely beautiful plain sailing and very textbook um but you know there's a lot of books out there that tell us it's perfect how to get your baby sleeping perfectly all night from the get-go um you know it just in reality from my own experiences from seeing my friends but most importantly I do all the postnatal checks um, and consultations with my mums as a GP and with over 14 years of experience as that mums that in the waiting room look like they're very put together a lot of the time behind closed doors that is not the scenario and we're all very much the same <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a huge change for you to go through, isn't it? And I think we, we concentrate so much on preparing for maybe our pregnancy and our birth and kind of, I guess, over, have massive oversight over what's going to happen afterwards when you actually got a baby to care for. And Absolutely. I love the fact that you talked about uh, kind of that, that self-care for mums and people rallying around and supporting mums because you spend your whole pregnancy, don't you, completely devoted to growing and nurturing and then birthing your baby and actually your body's got to go through such massive repair but you're doing that in this cycle of kind of sleep deprivation and learning how to care for a newborn yeah like I always look at it as you know we do this whole right okay here's my list for all the things that you want to pack in your hospital bag and this is I've got everything sorted for baby but it's almost like well where is my self-care bag 
Where is that? You know, what am I going to pack in that? So after the baby's born, what what is my rescue remedies there? Is my tribe in check? Have I got those people that I will need for support there? Have I got um, a schedule of some description where there's something mapped out for me? Have I got an app there that's going to help me with some relaxation techniques? You know, all these little things are so important and we don't seem to list these as vitals afterwards. Um, And I think that we need to kind of focus more on that in our journey as well when we're preparing for the birth is just afterwards the baby might have the most beautiful looking wardrobe and you know let's face it a weekend that wardrobe is upside down you know you you don't really iron those clothes (laughs) after the first time they've worn them but you know but where, where is your own package of care yeah, that's a really great point, actually. And I think as women, just generally, we are rubbish at asking for help for one and accepting help. And we've really got to change that because if there's a time to accept and ask for help, then this is it, isn't it? That fourth trimester is essential. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the one thing that I really regret um, from when I had my experience with postnatal depression, because actually I didn't recognize I had it for a very long time. And I think part of it was I come from an Asian culture and um, typically in my community, you know, mental health already has been very taboo. Uh, In medicine, we're very, very bad at opening up and talking about our own sort of healthcare needs and particularly mental health. We don't talk about it. And I just didn't want to look like a failure. I'd already felt my birth had been, you know, a failure in itself. And it's not, it's not how I think of it now, but at the time, that's what it felt like. Um, That I didn't really have, like I felt like I knew too much. How could I possibly be depressed? Like it wouldn't happen to me. Um, but then when I ultimately was at my ultimate lowest point and I did speak up, I spoke to my mum and I recognised that everyone around me had been seeing it and tried to talk to me about it but because I was in denial and until you can't help yourself other people cannot help you and it was only when I reached out for help that everything started to change and I just look back and think why did I not reach out for help earlier and sooner Um, and I guess that that's probably where part of my kind of mission became just to kind of really empower everybody but more so mums when we're going through that real transformation from one to two people um, that we recognize that speaking about vulnerability speaking about feeling low at times it's a strength of character and the more support we can get the better it is because it prevents it prevents loss of time which is a very important moment and stage of your life Absolutely. Those first few days and weeks and months are so precious because your baby's growing so rapidly. And it's really important that we make sure that we can get mums in a place with with their mental health and with the appropriate support that they can have really positive memories of those time, those times. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think the longer you leave it, the longer you miss that. And that's that's what I this time round, my wee baby's four months and I keep I keep saying to my husband, I'm like, oh my God, did, you know, did, did Irish do this? And did Irish do, do that? And he's like, yes. And I was like, I've got no memory, but it was such a dark time that, you know, and it's no fault of ours. It's just, it was a situation back then. And I guess that, that experience has made me much more wary and conscious of my mental health this time round. Um, because I know what the, all the things to look out for are. And I'm very open because I've spoken about it enough to my loved ones to say, this is, this is the things I need you to look out for. And I'm not going to 
jump down your throat if you tell me that you're worried about me but I need to come out of this situation like well mentally and it's one thing that I can do for my children particularly all of us that have come through a lockdown situation where actually the support that we would have previously had was massively missing in terms of the physical sense um it really was a matter of working consciously every day, checking into my energy levels, checking into my mental health and journaling it. And the moment I felt that something was dipping, you know, letting myself cry, picking up that phone and crying down the phone to my mum if I needed to. But just accepting that this is part of my journey, but I know that like it, there is an end to that. Definitely. And I think COVID has, I suppose, for for lots of mums, they plan this tribe of support to to be in place for afterwards to help them with with their mental health and with their postpartum recovery. And COVID kind of just came along and shattered it, didn't it, to some extent? Yeah, yeah. because you I didn't have actually, that tribe. Definitely, I was. Um, so this was not <laughs> planned pregnancy. Everything I tell my patients about, and yeah, so here we go. We had an <laughs> unplanned pregnancy. Doctors make mistakes. Do you know what? It's not a mistake, though. But you know what I mean. Like um, the best gift that I could probably have. But yeah. Um, but yeah. But as soon as I discovered I was pregnant, and we had been told that we couldn't have any more children due to my previous experience, it was a total wow. rainbow miracle um, yeah. pregnancy. But I remember my first antenatal appointment, and my midwife mentioned birth. And I didn't realize the degree of what birth trauma can do is that it can really cause post-traumatic stress disorder. And I had my first ever panic attack. I was like, birth, like, how am I going to go through that? Because it triggered all sorts of flashbacks and just darkness from the from before. So she then immediately referred me for an urgent um, appointment with a psychologist who was a specialist in birth trauma. Uh, And we started the process of sort of CBT and really unpacking what happened in the past and what the triggers were so that I could gain some control. And, you know, I was a high risk pregnancy anyway. So, you know, we were working over that for a few months and then suddenly February, March, you know, pandemic hits the UK. And I just remember it clearly just sitting in the surgery that day thinking, is this is this actually happening? Because everything for me that mattered was about control. And suddenly everything felt like it was out with my control. And but it was a real interesting journey because the way that I would describe this, the, the height of my anxiety around the time of the birth was that. I would have gone through my birth trauma 10 times over than gone through how painful that journey in my mind was because the fear of an unknown virus that's killing thousands around you and we are being inundated with that news and info every day whilst you're in your third trimester of pregnancy and you're already feeling very vulnerable and anxious, you know, it it magnifies a noise inside your head that nobody else can really, like, calm down, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So... It was kind of really those last few weeks of pregnancy, every day something would change, the guidelines would change. Um, my husband is a, is a doctor, is a front-facing doctor also, and we had to socially distance as a couple because he was continuing to work. I had a seven-year-old that then was out of school and you know, homeschooling was real and we had all these transitions going on and I just felt so helpless at times. But then I think knowing that, I wasn't alone and this is probably where the power of social media came in was that 
that's where I really started talking about my feelings more openly. And in doing so, I managed to connect with so many incredible women that were going through their journeys at the same time as me. We were all helping and supporting one another. And I think probably the first time in my life, I understood the power of the word tribe because we helped one another. Like uh, they felt that I was supporting them with giving them evidence-based up-to-date information. But I was like, you're comforting me because you're telling me that you're feeling the same things as, as a woman that's going through this together. So yeah, but it has probably been one of the hardest stages of my life. And I don't think anything will ever compare to this period again. I like you so say you kind of had all of the challenges thrown in didn't you in your third trimester your husband is a frontline doctor so you were obviously social distance from him your son was then um at home so you were obviously his carer and educating him from home you're you're who weren't able to see your family and your support network that you'd carefully planned to be in place so it was really everything you planned to protect yourself was kind of I guess gone because of this awful pandemic and that's where I think it's a shame that it's taken a global pandemic, but it's made us realize the power that we can have even virtually as women in actually yeah. empowering each other and helping each other with mental health and, and all aspects of health and wellness, really. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the other thing that it's also done is it really, I think in many levels has has helped us understand the power within us that we are actually a lot more resilient than we ever gave ourselves credit for like I've definitely been on a survival mode which is why I I, like I'm due to go back to work at the end of this month and you know I do foresee that there is going to be this kind of peak of almost PTSD as we all start to kind of as life starts to normalize again and we start to unpack exactly what it is that we've gone through but certainly learning to we, we've all gone on to survival mode and I think it's shown us what human behaviors are capable of doing but it was almost that adrenaline thing plus that instinctive mum thing which is like wait I've got to just I can only do what I can do today and I have to focus on all that I have achieved and not focus on all the negatives and really actively having this conversation out loud um, and I think that that's how I have gotten through this this period um, whereas anything else that's ever happened before, I've, I've probably never really um, exercised these kind of rules before or these kind of principles. Um, so I think just recognizing your own uh, sense of control over your thoughts um, has been something that I've really learned through this. And yeah, using every ounce of support, letting the emotions flow on days where you just need to cry out, just sit on the bathroom floor and cry out and then just get up and get on with it. And because you know that nobody else is coming. <laughs> so um, it's not been easy. It's not been easy at all. Um, but I think that after this, we can really say that if we can go through this, we can go through anything. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's really important, isn't it, that even with everything going on, that you find that time to show yourself kindness and care for yourself. And I guess it just gets so lost, doesn't it? And now even more than ever. And I wonder whether it has kind of being in a, in a global pandemic during your pregnancy and postpartum, has that kind of, I guess, changed some of your priorities and things? And have you found some opportunities that perhaps will stay when life kind of goes back to normal, wherever normal is going to be? Oh, definitely. I think that there's been so much. I've always been a big advocate for doing more stuff as a family at home and 
Um, and what this whole period has taught us is just how much we can get done at home together, that not necessarily every weekend does it need to be that we have to go out somewhere, that we can actually have a lot of fun. Like we created a cinema at home, we've created a nightclub at home. Like we, you know, <laughs> it's, we've, we've been super creative, <laughs> um, but we've also been cooking so much more. We've been learning lots of different um, things and not, not, I mean, I've not gone crazy over it, but I think just appreciating that there's a lot of comforts at home that we previously took for granted and didn't really necessarily spend time over have actually been the biggest gifts. And moving forward, I hope that we can retain this, um, especially because, yeah, I think it's just helped me look, look at priorities and my priority is my family and the health of my family and the mental well-being of my family. And even as my seven-year-old, he's really suffered with anxiety throughout this whole time and preparing him for school right now has been quite um, a challenge in itself. And learning really about helping him open up about his feelings, my husband learning to talk a lot more openly about his feelings every day. We've been tapping into that, like, let's get it out and speak about it rather than just busy ourselves and distract ourselves and go to the gym to burn it off or let's talk about it um so that's kind of some of the positives that have come from this which I do hope will stay yeah that's brilliant and I love the fact that you're vocalizing that as a family and that's really important isn't it? in all aspects of life going forward actually if you can if you can do that and if there's something that is um affecting you emotionally or physically just being able to vocalize it can sometimes even make it feel less severe it sort of sounds sounds so much louder in your head than when you actually get it out sometimes doesn't it yeah definitely definitely I think um, we've we've always done this thing which actually has been even more prominent during um the pandemic we always used to do this uh, like three things I'm grateful for before we turn the lights off for my wee boy and I've always found it such a lovely exercise because no matter how stressful the day is, it always ends on such a happy kind of note. And I used to feel that with my work as well. Like I'd be seeing 40 patients. Some days you'd be really seeing some really difficult, complex cases, or you may have lost a patient. And, you know, but at the end of the day, when you actually reflected and thought of three things, just something as simple as that, of three things that actually were good from that day that you learned or that you were grateful for always left you sleeping with a bit of a smile on your face so we've been kind of doing that and it's interesting because my husband rarely participated in it before but (laughs) throughout this whole period we've really sat together at the end of the day and and valued that time because I think social distancing as a couple for several weeks was one of the hardest things and I mean we've never been through anything like that in our marriage before and I think just learned we learned so much about one another during that time and we learned that when we were dating, we used to talk a lot more than when we were married. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just sitting outside his room or him sitting out in the room I was sleeping in and just talking for ages just was, it just actually was a lovely, it was a lovely thing to come out of what was a really horrible situation. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, definitely. I think there's going to be 
um, in in generally in relationships because there's lots of people that perhaps would have lots of independent time that have then been kind of locked down in COVID together and and that there's going to be positives and of course there's going to be challenges from that as well because we are only human but I think one of one of the <laughs> themes that I've definitely seen from the the women and the families that I've been caring for is the role of the stay-at-home mum I think is going to be so much more appreciated yeah. um, and then obviously working mums as well because of all the things you're juggling but I think some partners have now seen what actually goes on in a household <laughs> and how hard work it actually is. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's, I, and you know, I, I mean, I'm a full-time working uh, person and um, I love, I love my job as a GP. I've, uh, I absolutely miss it more than anything right now. Yeah. Um, but I have had such an appreciation and insight into like some of my mums, like my friends that can never stay at home mums and, I'm just like, how do you do it? Like, how, or mums, I've got a couple of friends that have chosen to homeschool their kids. And I'm like, I have so much respect for you. <laughs> like, I have so much respect and love for teachers. Like, I just, yeah. I don't know how, you know, there's been times where I question, I'm like, am I just not good at being a mum? Like, I couldn't do this forever. I'm counting down the days until school starts. Like, I'd rather do a day of seeing 100 patients and have to deal with what's going on at home. Um, so, yeah, like a massive appreciation for mums that stay at home, for any parent actually that stays at home. Um, and a massive gratitude for every teacher in the country. <laughs> like, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. There's going to be different different uh, outlooks and dynamics in in households across the country for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just wonder when you um, see your postnatal mums in that kind of initial period and do their kind of six week checks and things. Are there any kind of key challenges or key themes that tend to crop up? that you've kind of noticed? I often find that, I mean, depending on where you're living, not every general practice in the country offers a postnatal check for mums. Usually it's offered, the six to eight week check is offered to the baby, which, you know, I really do sincerely hope changes moving forward. Um, in my practice, however, I always make an appointment with mum and baby because as far as I'm concerned, the baby is always the easy bit it's always finding out how mum is doing um, and I think that one of the challenges is that mums don't probably get enough airtime to be able to speak about things like the birth which you know birth in itself as beautiful as the whole process is on every level it is a traumatic thing like it it's you know a huge transformation and women go through major surgery they have tears they have wounds that perhaps have not healed they may end up with you know all sorts of complications that could develop on the back of that and often mums are left without anyone to really speak to about that and they don't feel empowered enough for whatever reason to usually open up to their health visitor or their GP so the biggest challenge I always have is just being able to have that open conversation and say you know how are you feeling and please tell me how you're doing mums often worry most of all about their mental health and don't like to speak about it because they have a fear of judgment by the doctor um, and you know obviously we have this Edinburgh postnatal uh, depression score questionnaire which actually when my health visitor was doing it with me this time I was like this is not applicable at all to current times you know everything there is very low but my anxiety about this pandemic is huge and it's through the roof and I'm thinking about it all the time I'm obsessing about cleanliness and hand hygiene and all the things that go through with that and I think that that's every mum at the moment I worry about somebody handling my child I'm worried about somebody coming close to my child 
And all these things need to be spoken about. But yet, if we just kind of brush them under the carpet, what happens is mum is left anxious and then maybe speaking to others who may just give her some anecdotal stuff which may not necessarily help her um, with the kind of feelings that she's feeling so in terms of like any mum that's listening one of the biggest things I'd say is please speak to your GP about how you're feeling um, not necessarily will you be given a pill because a lot of the time it's not a pill that's going to fix this but just being able to open up and actually have some closure on on that birth um, on how your feeding journey is going because again that is not always straightforward for the vast majority of mums and babies um, and I think that, that that's that's the thing is just being honest and open and speaking about what needs to be spoken about. And appreciating actually that everything that you're probably feeling in those first 12 weeks is very normal. It is so normal. But like you say, if we're not talking about it, then women don't know that it's normal, do they? So they assume that they are kind of alone in it. And I love the fact that you take that time to really go through that that kind of birth journey with mums because like you say it does so often get forgotten we focus on on the baby's gained weight the baby's you know it hasn't got jaundice it's your breastfeeding's yeah. well blah, blah, blah. but we don't actually say so so what happened and how do you feel about it and that's where yeah. we're going to pick up birth trauma and yeah. be able to to really get that help in early yeah, I mean, but, but in terms of birth trauma prior to lockdown, we know that over 30,000 women in the UK alone that we know about suffer from birth trauma. Yet, um, when I look at exactly what I've gone through now, touch with my pregnancy, well, my pregnancy was not very good at all this time around, but my birth um, was, was a beautiful birth in the end. It was a C-section, planned C-section. Um, because of my previous history but I felt so taken care of I felt so nurtured by the maternity service that, that I was under um, but regardless this whole process of going through it in, in a pandemic and lockdown has been traumatic and I would absolutely say that this counts as birth trauma um, so when I think about every mum that's reached out to me over the last few months on my page um, and people that I have spoken to you know we have all been massively traumatized by what's going on so there has to be some sort of space where we can open this conversation and and say look let, let's deal with this now rather than you dealing with this in five six seven years down the line um because you know fingers crossed the next time you or if you decide to have a baby we're not going to be going through another pandemic let's not ever hope that again yeah let's hope but, um, it is um yeah far yeah, away from us but, by then. you know it will evoke much like I think when I got pregnant again it evoked and triggered something from the past so it's best to kind of deal with it now and I think that these conversations do fall down to the community team um the midwife the health visitor and the GP all in tandem really helping support that mum through that journey and um, beyond the birth most definitely I couldn't agree more and I've actually got a episode episode seven which is all about birth trauma with um, Dr. Rebecca Moore, who is incredible. Oh, she's amazing. She's yeah. just amazing. So if anyone is is feeling like they maybe want a little bit more information on that, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Um, yeah. Because it's something that we we just don't talk about. And it's and it's a different thing to postnatal depression and post-traumatic yes. traumatic stress disorder. So you might not have either of those, but you could still have a birth trauma. So it's really important we Absolutely. start talking about it. Yeah, for it's sure. so personal. And I think that's it when people say to me, well, you know, my birth wasn't as bad as yours. And I'm like, no you cannot compare your birth ever like what feels real to you is what is reality to you and that's fact and that if that is trauma then you know 
if it's if it feels traumatic to you then that is real trauma like there's no debating that and it's not a comparison thing um even with feeding feeding can be very traumatic and often we end up comparing it to somebody else and thinking oh well it's not as bad as theirs or you know gosh they they have it easy like we just need to stop that conversation and appreciate that trauma is trauma it's it's very unique um and each person deserves to to be open and honest about it and get the support that's needed for it yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned the comparison element there because that just seems to happen so, so often that women feel like they have to compare their birth. And I yeah. think that can just trigger so many negative emotions and connotations of having failed at birth because they didn't give birth in a pool and their friend did, or they had to have a cesarean section and and their friend didn't. Yeah. And, and it's just so wrong. And I think even as healthcare professionals, I think there's an element of that comparison and we really need oh, to I break away from it. Yeah, I think it's so, so bad. And also when, you know, especially Instagram, I think is probably the worst for it. And the thing that really hits the most for me um, and really gets my back up is when it's like, and they didn't need any pain relief and they did it in a few hours. And, you know, and you just think, well, that's brilliant. Like, you know, I'm, we, we should be happy for one another, but it's all always, it's like, um, we society tends to kind of deem those that manage to have a spontaneous vaginal delivery without any pain relief to be the more superior birth experiences and it's almost like they should be applauded but everybody else that's kind of gone through you know everything else to have their baby are less you know so in that in that ranking and that needs to stop you know you got your baby into the world you survived it your baby is you know well well done you incredible women for doing that and it doesn't matter how many drugs it took you it doesn't matter what you went through you know what you are so loved and supported and valued for doing that I love that and that's literally one of my biggest um, enthusiasms and really one of the reasons I started you know my podcast and my Instagram page is is exactly that that connotation that if it didn't go one way then then you failed or, yeah. or or any of these negative emotions. And I think it's really ironic that women postnatally tend to feel their most, most vulnerable or have these negative emotions about their body when they've just given birth to another human being. Some yeah. women go through like life-saving surgery like yourself and all of these all of these experiences and you should be feeling your most powerful and beautiful and capable and yet for so many women they feel the complete opposite and again I think yeah. social media is really unhelpful all the connotations of like getting your body back in the postnatal like what even is that like it didn't go anywhere it's created another human and we've yeah. got to start speaking up I think as women absolutely and I must say like I am guilty myself in that I do fall into the trap sometimes of comparing I do and where I'm human and I do I will see somebody who's just snapped back you know inverted commas into their pre-pregnancy state and you know I'm sitting there with a big bowl of chips going oh I feel so awful somebody passed me the gin right now because now I feel even worse having seen that you know (laughs) know, I've had those moments as well um and I have to really then be very conscious and have this nice, and this is part of self-care. This is part of the self-love and kindness because I have asked throughout this time, I've, I've, I find myself saying to my friends at moments where I've just felt so tearful and helpless of, I don't even know what self-love means. 
but it means like talking to yourself nicely first and foremost and saying it's okay that's brilliant for that mum that she's managed to do that and I'm really happy for her but right now this is where I am I'm very comfortable with where I'm at and I will get there in my own time and I think that that is such a loving moment for yourself and I've been practicing that more and more and sometimes if I can't say it in my head I have to actually and I physically do this because I've known that there's nobody that's going to come around with those box of chocolates and just help me wipe my tears. I've had to do it myself. So I've kind of found myself writing it out to myself of, you know, that I am those powerful affirmations that we learn about, but writing down, I am amazing. I am capable of being loved or I value my body. And, you know, these things are important because the more we say them to ourselves, the more they become deeper and deeper embedded within our subconscious and the less likely we are to then compare ourselves to others. But also recognizing that if somebody is triggering you, you know, what is it within you that's like maybe made you feel that way, but also just unfollow that person or mute them and feel empowered enough to recognize that somebody's made you feel a little bit negative about yourself. That Yes, there's a bit of work that you need to do on that area, but you can disengage and not torture yourself by watching somebody do an incredible workout on Instagram live. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which yeah, we've all totally done. And it's, it's that thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a fine line, I think, between using social media to maybe be inspired and motivated and supported, but not allowing that kind of negative comparison. And, and that can be a really tricky line to tread sometimes, can't it? It's human behavior. And I think yeah. vulnerability does that, is that it, it, it makes us tap into those um corners of of your subconscious that you've perhaps managed to like distract yourself from and then suddenly they're very open and something triggers it and you find yourself down a rabbit hole where you are the worst person on the planet and yeah. nobody can talk you out of that you know it's and it is really irrational and i think as women we're really bad at it um but that's okay. I think that part of this whole journey is just saying that that's okay. I, I can have a bad day where I've probably not been very kind to myself, but I'm going to focus on all that I have done today and I'm going to celebrate all my small wins. Absolutely. And all the amazing things actually that you you have done and your body's done for you, yeah. um, especially when it comes to postpartum, your body has has grown this baby and birthed this baby like that's a massive win, isn't it? Actually focusing on that yeah. over our size 18. I've definitely felt that this time is that whenever I have kind of felt a little bit less than or inadequate or, you know, those feelings crop into everybody. Um, I've just looked at my baby and I've just gone, wow, like no matter what has happened throughout these last four months, I've got you here. You're safe. We're in our home. We're safe. And whatever's happening out there, it's not affecting us right now. We've got to be grateful for this moment. And it always helps ground me back to just going, okay, just focus on your present and stop stop this chat that's going on for no reason. Most definitely. And I wonder, when we, we talked about, I know, kind of the support network and that tribe that we try to create around us in that fourth trimester, how have you, I guess, adapted for that for COVID? Have you used a lot of kind of Zoom or, or FaceTime calls? Um, I think I, like, I definitely had my inner people, which included my mum and my best friend. And I kept it quite sort of like close to them um, because 
I was very conscious that I didn't want too many people's opinions over a time that was already feeling quite overwhelming. Um, my sister also had a little baby during lockdown. So my niece is two weeks older than my baby. So we were kind of almost going through this journey together. So that was amazing just to be able to kind of speak to one another about how we were feeling. Um, and in terms of sort of out with that I think that I certainly used Instagram a lot to be able to kind of blog my journey through it and find a lot of comfort in that I, um, and on days where that felt too much I, I was quite good at just switching off from it um, but yeah definitely I think that learning to to live in a world where it was predominantly behind a device did take some time because I'm such a people person in my day job which is full-time I'm seeing up to 40 patients a day face to face I'm used to seeing a lot of people and having lots of real-time conversations so suddenly not having that human connection at all you know, the Amazon delivery man being the only person that you would see from the driveway and you'd be like, I might just order something so I can see him again tomorrow. <laughs> you know? um, it's, it's been really difficult, like navigating this new way of life, but it's brought with it a whole new way of looking at what the future could look like and making things a lot more accessible. I've done some courses um, related to sort of my job um which you know previously I would have had to go down to London to do where I've been able to so I think just being able to have a lot more accessibility has been helpful um but I do definitely look forward to, to a time where I can connect back with my own people in real life again but I'd say that during this time FaceTime has been amazing for you know grandparents to be able to see the baby and chat to the grandkids and I think under normal times I probably wouldn't have chatted to them as much as I have done during this time so I think that um, mums, yeah, like we're so lucky to have the digital tech era that we're going through. We are, aren't we? It's tricky. I, I was very much in the kind of anti-technology cohort pre-COVID. I like you. I'm a people person. I'm a hugger. I love giving people a hug. Yes. So to then move into this era where it's like, oh no, we're not two inches apart and I've got to, I'm a smiler. So not being able to smile, especially in my job, I find that really, really tricky. I'm obviously smiling, but I'm like, I promise I am behind this mask. Yeah. And it's adapting to those things. I think when you're used to kind of face-to-face contact is it's, it's kind of a challenge, but I think we're, get, we're getting there. I think we're getting yeah, there. Yeah, no, it is. It's definitely, I'd say that even going on walks, for example, and I live in Scotland, you know, in Scotland, we speak to everything. We speak yeah. to like, plants, you know, <laughs> we talk. We want to say, hi, how you doing to everybody? So suddenly you're like going on this once a day walk and I'm trying to get, you know, the kids out for like the only bit of fresh air and sanity. And then suddenly I'd see somebody and I'm like, oh God, I really want to say hello to them. But, oh God, now we need to like keep the distance. And like, you're almost like, throwing yourself the buggy and the child into a bush to kind of try and keep away from people yeah. <laughs> you know it's so um so counterintuitive uh so yeah and I think I'm at the point now where although restrictions are starting to ease I still hold quite a lot of anxieties about how this whole easing back into normality is going to look like um particularly with sort of my baby who's not been handled or held by anybody yet and you know I, I think that it's, it's going to take time just getting back to, to normal and trusting the world again. And it's such a sad, sad way to look at it. It's, it's not nice at all. 
No, and I think like you said, we're not going to really understand the full impact that it's had on us until we start returning to those those kind of situations and seeing how we feel and how we respond. But I think we just need to recognize that actually that's okay. We've been through this massive transformation and it's it's going to take time and there's going to be lots of uncertainties. It's a bit like landing on an alien planet, isn't it? And then going back to your original and we're Absolutely. trying to just navigate it. Yeah, and I think actually, particularly with kids, they seem to be a lot more resilient, like, um, than as adults, and it's taken us quite some time. But it was really interesting because when my baby, uh, we went for her vaccinations, and um, obviously each time she's been a little bit older. But the the uh, health sister said to me that she's noted that with all the babies so far that they seem to be responding very much to voice and the eyes because we're all wearing masks the babies have kind of just seemed to adapt to that and are smiling and responding to cues that they otherwise would be so it was kind of nice to see that my baby seems quite unaffected who was kind of babbling away and giggling away to, to the elder to behind this mask like my baby just thinks people exist on a screen or they, they people come with masks on their faces yeah. like um but yeah an interesting time yeah definitely the world through baby's eyes at the minute is going to be really interesting isn't it for yeah. sure sure yeah. <laughs> and so I I just wonder when you when you obviously you're interacting with postnatal mums all the time and have you kind of got any any tips that you tend to give them for kind of coping I always like to give three kind of top tips on the end of a podcast so for kind of managing in the fourth trimester yeah um so I'd say now when I go back, this is definitely something that I will be telling my mums postnatally, but I think that the the important thing, number one, is to take it one day at a time. And I don't think this has ever been more important than ever. It's just don't think about what tomorrow's going to bring, what next week's going to bring. Try your best not to focus on all the stuff that you didn't get done the day before or the week before. It's just look at it one day at a time and start the day afresh every day. I think that that's certainly in focusing on all the things that you have achieved and are doing rather than focusing on anything that you're not. I think that that's very important. Um, Number two, this is something that I have done throughout this whole period, which has been massively helpful. Get yourself a little journal in that self-care pack um, that you're going to create for yourself. And it's going to be your small win journal. And every morning I would write on that a tiny small win that was very achievable for me, for my baby and for my son and for the house. And for me, most days that was things like as simple as putting on a red lipstick <laughs> or putting on a pair of earrings or a happy top or something that was just small achievable but something that reminded me about my own identity and kept that little sense of me going um so I think just have a small win journal and number three is really focus on who is in your inner tribe and have a have a quick kind of group where, or person that you can tap into and contact anytime that's going to be unconditionally there who you can just phone and be raw and authentic to um that you trust but yeah that tribe is the most important thing that's going to help you through those first 12 weeks I love that and I love the self-care pack that you talk about I kind of allude to it when I do my antenatal classes but we're definitely now going to start doing a proper thing we'll have, right, so we'll have our birth her. plan but then we'll have our, our postpartum self-care pack plan for sure for sure because <laughs> it's so important we need to recognize it more yeah 
Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me and discussing your, I guess your two kind of fourth trimester journeys really, because they've been very different and, yeah. um, and in, in such different ways in terms of the trauma that you've experienced. So thank you so much for sharing it with such honesty. And I will make sure that your Instagram is linked into the description of the bio for this podcast so that our listeners can go and check that out because you just document in such a beautifully authentic way. And I think that's really powerful and really supportive to all, all the mums out there. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Oh, thank you. And I hope to catch you very, very soon. Definitely. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower. For daily free information, inspiration or details on our bespoke antenatal education, head over to my Instagram page at midwife underscore pip. Thank you and see you next time.